an extremely talented, as well as empathetic, 23-year-old nurse predicted her own demise only moments before leaving the night shift. Join me as we examine the case of Christina Ternay Sandoval. Christina Marie Ternay Sandoval, who is also known by her family as Tina, was born in March 17th of 1972 in Valparaiso, Indiana. Christina was the second of nine siblings and is remembered by her kindness and willfulness to help, even at her own expense. Tina was a very determined person throughout her entire life. It seemed she could do anything she wanted and she would master any craft she picked up. She lettered in track, volleyball, basketball, and even the knowledge bowl. Christina also learned how to play the trumpet in middle school, and by high school, she was traveling abroad in Canada to perform for the marching band. Christina earned an associate's degree in nursing at the Ames Community College in Greeley, Colorado, where she would also meet her future husband, John Sandoval, who at the time was taking classes to become a radiology technician. Tina would advance on to receive her bachelor's in nursing by working as a licensed practical nurse on the weekends at the North Colorado Medical Center. She would accept her degree in the top 5% of her nursing class at UNC in 1995. Tina was praised both inside and outside of the classroom by her pupils and mentors alike. Christina and John Sandoval seemed to hit it right off as they would soon get married in 1992 in a chapel nestled within the Colorado Rocky Mountains. Her younger sister, Suzanne Mary, would recall that she believed Tina and John were living in a fairy tale as everything seemed so perfect. The newlyweds even had a memorable honeymoon out in Cancun. All the family can remember is how exciting it all seemed. Only two years later, Christina would end up filing for a divorce after uncovering a dark secret that her husband had hidden from everyone, including herself. Early on, some of the sisters began to notice a change in their relationship. It was known that Christina had grown to doubt who John really was. He never did end up receiving that degree in radiology, and he would always lose jobs faster than they came up. It was obvious to the family that something was wrong, but Tina would not elaborate in the beginning. But by the summer of 1995, Tina and John were no longer living together. It would take another several weeks after Christina had moved out that she would open up to her sisters and let them know the truth. The truth that she had married a perverted peeping Tom. John Sandoval would periodically sneak out in the middle of the night to gaze at women as they dressed or as they went about their business in the privacy of their own home. On some nights after returning from his escapades, he would return with some type of trophy or memento. To the detectives, John had always been a suspect when it came to perversion, but they were not aware of his true murderous capabilities. On October 19th, 1995, Christina left her overnight shift in the early hours 
from the North Colorado Medical Center bound for John Sandoval's home to hash out their divorce issues. She would never be seen again. The most tragic part is that she had foreshadowed her own disappearance. Throughout the week and even the last morning before meeting John, Tina had jokingly said to her co-workers and younger sister that they would need to call the cops if she did not return from her meeting with John Sandoval. That same night, not hearing anything from Tina, her mother and sister reported her missing to the authorities. With the knowledge of John's criminal history and the crime being fresh, two detectives, Keith Olson and Brad Goldsmith, set out to question John and search for Tina's missing vehicle. At first, they were not as lucky in finding John as they were with finding Christina's car. John's house was empty, except for his aunt, who at the time was renting out the basement. The aunt would recall that John had not been back for quite a while. With the knowledge of John's history and the fresh disappearance, the detectives had an officer stake out in front of John's home to signal his return. As for Tina's car, that was found parked in some random apartment complex with her wallet placed inside, yet no evidence could be found. Once the detectives got word that John had returned to his home, they paid him a visit. Not four minutes after receiving the call that John had arrived, the detectives were knocking at his door. Once again, the aunt answers, and this time tells the detectives that John had indeed just arrived, but that he had jumped into the shower as soon as he got home. This was devastating to the officers, as they knew this meant any evidence on his body was being physically flushed down the drain. While waiting for John to finish with his shower, the detectives began to look around his car where they found several rather alarming items scattered within. In particular, the detectives found a muddy shovel and some rope. Although no helpful evidence or DNA could be extracted from these items, they did, however, paint a clear picture in the detectives' minds. At this point, the detectives had to make a dire choice. Either go in now or possibly have to wait for some solid evidence down the road, which frankly could have never came. The detectives decided to enter the home where they noticed a scratching and crashing noise. John had jumped out of the back window, smashing down on the grass. Luckily, the stakeout officer who had signaled John's arrival was positioned near the window that John attempted to flee through. The officer was able to subdue John with her handgun pointed at his head. At that time, the detectives did not have enough evidence to arrest him on the disappearance of Christina Ternay Sandoval. What they did have was a warrant for his arrest under another crime he had committed earlier and was not charged correctly on. Prior to this tragic incident, John Sandoval was caught hiding out inside an old co-worker's friend's closet. The co-worker's friend noticed something strange and called the police before finding John in her bedroom closet. She demanded John explain himself. John stated he went to visit a different friend altogether who would allow him to enter as he pleased. Both fortunate and unfortunately, the officer at the time 
had written up the offense as a misdemeanor instead of its proper felony charge. With this on hand, the detectives had a chance to arrest John Sandoval, even if it wasn't for the murder of Christina Ternay. John Sandoval would proceed to serve four years out of the six which he was sentenced to for the felony trespassing charge. Soon after being released on good behavior, John Sandoval moved to Las Vegas where he lived free to do as he pleased. In 2009, with a new district attorney in office, the detectives Keith Olson and Brad Goldsmith focused once again on the now seven-year-old case with what seemed like no new evidence. The detectives would reach out to Mike Prill, who was a younger army veteran turned detective, which would give the decades-old case a fresh set of eyes. Detective Prill would proceed to complete extensive detail-oriented investigations, which in theory could determine if someone were to be truly missing or if they were actually deceased all along. After extensively going over the facts of the case and the new understanding that proved Christina was more than likely to be dead than missing, the new DA and judge went forward with the decision to issue out a warrant for the arrest of John Sandoval. At the time of this decision, John was living in Las Vegas when the detectives finally had a warrant for his arrest. The detectives were able to work with the local law enforcement in Las Vegas, Nevada, where they arrested John Sandoval with no incident and in front of local news cameras. Once the detectives had John in custody, they were able to secure a search warrant for his Las Vegas home. Inside, they found some very unsettling items. First off, they found an odd type of shrine set up, which had pictures of Christina in a black dress. Even more alarming, amongst the clutter, they found hundreds of VHS and mini VHS tapes filled with creeper upskirt shots and all-around pervy videos. One of those tapes was uniquely haunting and disturbing, as it shows the predator John Sandoval following a group of drunk women. He seems to specifically target a blonde girl as she is seen tripping over her own feet. In the video, you can see him entering their hotel room once the group of girls had gone to sleep as they forgot to latch the hotel room door. The video goes on for 17 minutes as he showcases the girls laying two per bed. He then proceeds to target his blonde girl once again as he begins to remove her blankets and starts to sexually assault her. None of the girls, including the victim, were seen to notice any of the acts as they occurred. There is a shot in the video close to the end that left the detectives doubtless that the video was taken by none other than John himself. No one ever reported the incident, so John has never been charged for it, leaving us to wonder how many more victims did this monster have. Detective Mike Prill would continue to find many more incidents that depicted John Sandoval as a cowardly woman abuser. It seemed as if every female that John had come in contact with 
over the previous 26 years would end up becoming his victim of some type. Although, in 2010, a jury of 12 would convict John Sandoval of first-degree murder after taking seven hours to deliberate, the sentence would not stick for long. Seven years into his life sentence, the Court of Appeals reversed the judge's decision as they found that the prior bad actions on John's behalf should have never been brought up to the jury. They also concluded that one of the domestic violence experts' testimony had gone too far. And as such, they set for a new trial. Fortunately, John would not be released until he would be found innocent, which in many cases can take several years. For that reason, John Sandoval's attorney reached out to the detectives working the decades-old case with a bargain. John's lawyer stated that they could have possible information of where Christina's body could be. Using this new information and working with the DA, the detectives came up with a plea bargain which the Ternay family could also agree on. With the new plea bargain in hand, John would need to produce Tina's remains and as such, he would receive time served plus a reduced sentence from first degree to second degree murder, which would lower his overall sentence from life in prison to only 25 years. A tired family is seen debating the circumstances, but ultimately finding that making a deal with the devil was better than never properly putting Tina's remains to rest. For the deal to be met, John had to lead detectives to Christina's body. A calm Sandoval is seen giving directions to the detectives, which led them to a cemetery. John walks out of the vehicle and looks a bit disoriented as he explains that his surroundings looked very different with new gravestones and landscapes around. After getting his bearings straight, John walks over to the specific gravestone and points straight at it. It was the grave plaque of Army veteran Arthur C. Hurt, who in some way had been watching over Christina for the past two decades. Like in an episode of Dexter, John had hidden the body under the veteran's grave only hours before he was supposed to be laid to rest. As a veteran himself, Mike Prill made sure to have a full military honor after moving Hurt's remains to retrieve the body of Christina Marie Ternay. Priel had previously asked the permission of Arthur's family, who were very supportive in helping the case in any way they could. As soon as the body retrieval team dug two feet past the usual grave depth, the team of scientists and technicians sought what they thought was a black plastic bag peeking through the dirt. Once the object was pulled out, and in the clear, they were able to retrieve Christina's remains. Her body was determined to have decomposed far too long for a proper autopsy report to be concluded. And as such, no one will ever know what exactly happened to Christina, as part of the plea bargain was that John never had to discuss how she died.
Soon after the remains were given back to the family, the Tournays were finally able to put Christina to rest. In Christina's obituary, it states, Friends and family will remember her kindness and how no matter how busy she could have ever been with all her activities, she always took the time to be there, a shoulder to cry on, a listening ear, someone to share a laugh with, and those are the memories that people will hold on to the most. I always wish to end these solved cases on a positive note. Well, however positive it can be. But unfortunately, with this specific case, there is the issue of John's early parole release due to good behavior. At this point, John is eligible for parole this year of 2020. The family has recently stated that they were not expecting parole until 2028 and that only two years after the bargain was made, they now had to deal with John's ability to apply for a halfway house every six months. It has become their duty to submit victim statements on why they believe John Sandoval should not be released. That's it for this one. Please stay vigilant and safe out there. From your boy, Abiotic.